Well, Easter Sunday is always a special day, isn't it? As we think about our own life, particularly those who know Jesus Christ. And so to encourage our hearts this morning, I just want to take our Bibles this morning, if you have them with you, and open them to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, we'll just spend a short time here this morning. We can smell the smells from underneath as the men cook for our time of breakfast time, but we want to spend our time this morning feeding on the Word of God first. In Mark chapter 16, I want to read for us the first 14 verses of this chapter, and then just begin to to unfold a little bit about what is happening. Beginning in verse 1, when the Sabbath day was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, Spices to that they had that they or bought spices that they might come and anoint him, that is, anoint Jesus as he had been buried a couple days before. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they had laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. After he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. And after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along the way to the country. And they went away and reported it to others, but they did not believe them either. And afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Let's just bow in a word of prayer as we begin. Father, thank you for this time this morning, for the wonder and majesty and and in many ways, even in our own hearts, amazement of what took place on that first Lord's Day morning when you rose from the dead. We thank you that that you are alive. We thank you that death no no longer holds you. We thank you that you gained victory over death. That, That while the reality of physical death takes place because of sin, Lord, you have overcome sin. You have overcome the eternal death whereby your wrath would remain forever and ever upon those who refuse to believe upon your Son who has risen from the dead. And so this morning we're here to worship you, 
We give praise to you to honor your name because of all that you have accomplished for those who would believe. And so, Lord, impress upon our hearts and our minds the wonder of that moment this day. Remind us of these things. Those of us who believe upon Jesus Christ, may these be motivators for us and comforts to us in our life here now until the day you return. And for those who do not know Christ, may this day be their resurrection day. May they come to believe upon the truth of what you have told us and what you have revealed in your word concerning your Son. May you be glorified in it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's certainly clear to all of us here today that Mark chapter 16, and we could have really turned to any of the gospel writers and gotten a similar account, but it is clear to us that this passage speaks about the events that took place at the end of the week, a week that forever changed the world. From the very beginning of time, God chose to create everything that we know. We look around us and we see the creation around us. We see the sun shining on a morning like this. We see the trees beginning to bloom. It is a day in which we see life beginning. God created it all. He created the earth in which we stand. He created the sky in which we live under. He created the seas. He created all and everything that is in them and all the creatures that we know. The Bible tells us that God chose to create all of this in six literal days. Six days whereby there was morning and there was evening. But on the seventh day, it says, after looking at all that he had created and declaring that it was not just good, but very good, the Bible tells us that God rested. He rested not because he was exhausted from the exertion of energy in the creative process, for God just simply spoke, and it was. He was not resting from exhaustion, but simply because it was all finished, and it was very good. And so God rested. None of us were physically there. Not one human being was there the day in which God created all of the beginnings of time. No human was there until God himself had created the very human that he put in the garden, which he had created before he created any human. But that was an incredible week, as we can well imagine which God has recorded for us even in His Holy Word in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Well, there have been other incredible weeks in the history of the world, and some of them we can read about even in the Bible. For those of us who are familiar with biblical prophecy, there is a prophecy in Daniel's book, the book of Daniel, known as the 70th week of Daniel. It is a prophecy of the judgment to come, which we know to be the tribulation period, recorded for us in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And of course, we understand that that week represents a period of seven years. It isn't just 
seven days. It is seven years, each day representing one year. And it is a bad week. From the perspective of humanity, it is not a very good week. It is a very good week in the mind and heart of God because God has orchestrated and planned it so, but it is going to be a bad week for those who do not believe. It is a good week for the believer because at the end of it, Jesus Christ will return to set up his thousand-year reign as king on this earth. So that too will be an incredible week for all of mankind, the living and the dead. But all of the weeks that history has seen, maybe your mind is even flooded with weeks from just the history of man that aren't recorded in the Bible that have been incredible weeks, maybe weeks in your own life that you would consider to be incredible. Of all the weeks in history up to this point, or that will ever, in fact, be recorded in the history to come, none will ever be as far-reaching and none will carry the impact as that of the final week of the earthly life of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The final week of the earthly life of Jesus surpasses any event It surpasses any moment. It surpasses anything that is yet to even come in the future. For it was in that week that, as one man of God said, God won the battle of the ages because his son, born of a woman, bruised the head of the serpent with a fatal blow. Right. Since that very moment, the world has never been the same. Since that day, the world has forever been changed. It was a week that changed everything. And the central figure, of course, of that week, the central figure of this very day that we celebrate each and every year that comes around at this time, each and every moment that we see to it, that we celebrate this moment, The central figure is, of course, Jesus Christ. So so just in our brief time this morning as we are looking at this, I want to just take a quick review with us of the final days of the week of Jesus Christ. I, I, I want us to ponder Easter and the Easter climax so that we might be reminded of Easter's proper and necessary impact upon each one of us. It ought to have an impact that is unlike any other event that we know of. We know what took place just one week prior to this. Mark chapter 11 tells us in the early days of the week, or the early days of the week, that Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. He was at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately when you enter it, you will find a colt there on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? just simply say, The Lord's has need of it, and immediately they will send it back with you. 
And they went away and found the colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus, and they put their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following after were crying out. This is, this is the entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. This is just seven days prior to this Lord's Day that we celebrate today. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. They are praising God for what is happening. They, they are praising God that Jesus is entering. They believe Jesus is their deliverer, not from their sins, but their deliverer from the oppression that they are under in the Roman government. This is in the early days of the week. Well, as the week goes on, Thursday approaches. And Thursday, the darkness begins to hover over the week. Mark chapter 14, we are introduced once again to Judas, one of the disciples, one of his closest companions, And Judas, on the Thursday of the week, betrays Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and say, to one, say to him one by one, surely not I. And he said, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man on whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be have been good for that man if he had not been born. And of course, down in verse 43 after the supper had taken place, after Judas had left the scene and gone out to do what Satan had certainly stirred his heart to do. Verse 43 says, Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he was betraying him. He who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I shall kiss, he's the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. And after coming, he immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Monday, he comes in, or early in the week, he comes into Jerusalem. It is a glorious day of praising Jesus as the coming king. And by Thursday, he's being betrayed into the hands of wicked men by one who is so close to him. The very crowd who was there praising him is now leaders of that crowd, along with the chief priests and the Pharisees are arresting Jesus. Judas had spent nearly three years following Jesus. 
He had spent that time claiming to love him. He had given up even his earthly things in hopes of gaining what Jesus was offering, what Jesus was giving, but in the end, his unrepentant heart was unchanged. It wouldn't surrender to Jesus Christ, and instead, the hardness of his heart showed it for what it really was, and he turned on the one who actually loved his very soul, and he betrayed Jesus Christ. following Thursday was Friday. All the other disciples left Jesus alone on Friday when he needed them most. It was foretold for us here in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee, verses 46 and following, as they lay hands on him and seized him. But a certain one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck a slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me against a robber as against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me, but this has happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Jesus had told them that would happen. Peter, in his exuberance to protect even his closest of friends, Jesus Christ, the one whom he believed in, even pulled out his sword and began to fight by the means of men, Jesus had to even at that very moment do a miracle and heal the man's ear right there in front of everybody else. That alone should have told them who he was. They still were rejecting because they were blind by their sinning. And all of the disciples who should have stood with him fled. And as Jesus is led away in shackles by the Roman soldiers from the garden. All the disciples are running away. And even Peter, shortly after, denies Jesus three times. And that afternoon, as we know, Jesus freely gives up his life. Mark chapter 15, verse 22 through 37, and they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him just simply read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. And those passing by were hurtling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in 30 days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. 
Those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. When it was the sixth hour, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Quite a Friday. Quite a Friday, Jesus had been praised as king the early days of the week. Jesus had been betrayed by one of his closest confidants, and Jesus now had been killed. Saturday, however, that was the day after the cross. Jesus had already been in the grave. Crucifixion is over. Jesus Christ is no longer, as Isaiah had prophesied, the man of sorrows. He is now a victorious king. His mission was accomplished. And so this morning, we need to ask ourselves, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus accomplished the mission? How do we know about Saturday? The Bible doesn't give us any information about Saturday, And yet Saturday is a day in which Jesus accomplishes his mission. He was in the grave. He had been killed the day before. How can we be sure of mission accomplishment? We can know because of Sunday. We can know about Saturday because we know of the Lord's Day. We know because of what most of us call Easter morning. We know of mission accomplishment because of resurrection. We know that Jesus did what he came to do, that he accomplished what he said he would accomplish because of the Lord's Day morning. On Sunday, it was no longer a day of loss. Sunday was now the Lord's Day. It was a day of great gain. It was a day of great gain. Jesus Christ had gained victory over death so that death could no longer have a stranglehold on those who believe upon Jesus Christ. It was. It was transformation day. Because had Jesus Christ not died, had Friday not happened, and Friday not happened because Thursday had not happened, and all of that not happened because Monday had not happened, and the Mondays before and the prophecies before, had had Jesus Christ not died, and had he not risen from the dead, listen, beloved, there would be no saving gospel for us. If Jesus Christ had not conquered death, there would be no true church. 
And we need to mark this. We need to have this in our hearts and our minds. There would be for sure no hope of eternal life for any of us. All of us would be doomed. All of us would be here in this day by the grace of God, simply breathing the air which God had created only to die a life of continual and eternal death, a doom unlike any other doom. We would be condemned as a murderer is condemned to lose his life and lose it forever. But Mark tells us Jesus did die. And that Jesus did rise from the dead. Verse 6 of chapter 16. The angel says to the women, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He has been crucified. They they certainly killed him, and that had results that ended his life. They took his life. He breathed his last, but he has risen. He is alive, and that living will go on continuously into eternity. He is not here. Behold, he here is the place where they had laid him. In other words, they had laid him there, but he isn't there anymore. And the reason he's not there anymore is because he is alive. Beloved, those are the most life-changing words that any of us could ever hear. And do you notice incredibly that it says, the angel says to them, don't be amazed. Don't be amazed. Amazed in the original language there means greatly surprised. Greatly surprised. These women were there. They were wondering, how are we going to remove this large stone so that we can take care of this dead man's body? But it had already been rolled away. The body of Jesus Christ is gone. And they are greatly surprised. And the angel says to them, Don't be surprised. See, the surprise comes from the reality of thinking that this could not happen. The the surprise comes from, from the human thought that certainly no one could rise from the dead. And yet here is the angelic being saying to the women, listen, that is a human foolish thought. Don't let your mind go there. Humanity thinks that, but you're thinking that something is impossible for God. When nothing is impossible for God, he is not here. Do not be amazed. In other words, don't think it's strange, ladies. Don't think it unusual. It isn't crazy. In fact, because of who this is, the resurrection is just plain normal. Just plain normal. Listen, there's a quick lesson here for us and all of us who hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ need to think about this because it is here 
here is the lesson. It's pretty simple. Stop being surprised at the resurrection. Stop being surprised. Stop being surprised at the resurrection. Why? It has changed everything because the one who rose from the dead is God. Oh, men are so foolish in their thinking. They look at creation around them and the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen and their foolish hearts become darkened because they do not recognize the supernatural in the creative order and they say it all just happened by chance. Oh, it's the living out of of what the psalmist says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Listen, the angels are saying, listen, don't be surprised. This is God. This shouldn't shock you. This shouldn't surprise you. In fact, you should go away saying, really? Ah, I would expect nothing else. I would expect nothing else of God. This is God. This is the creator of all things. It is no surprise that Jesus Christ, it is no surprise that God in the flesh would rise from the dead. He said he would. Listen, because of his grace, because God is a gracious God, God rose from the dead. That should be enough. But because God is a gracious God and God desires for us to believe what he says, he accommodates our weakness by appearing in his risen form to many people. There was no human that saw Jesus rise from the dead. You realize that? There was no human that was there in the grave with the body of Jesus. There was no closed circuit TV camera poised on it so that we could have an internet view and watch the, the volcano explode. There was none of that. Nothing was there in human form other than Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. We don't need all of those things. We don't need someone there to come out and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. We don't need closed circuit television to tell us, yeah, that's true. The heavenly angel proclaimed it to be true. That should be good enough. But if that's not good enough, then remember that the tomb is empty. That that should be proof enough. His empty grave displayed the reality of his resurrection. And if that's not enough, Jesus himself appears alive to confirm that he rose from the dead. And so these appearances are lessons of faith for us. They are examples to us that we must also believe. Let's just just highlight a few of them before we close our time down this morning. Let's just highlight a few of these appearances. The first is to Mary, whom he cast out seven demons. It says in verse 9, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and reported those to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Mary's report was, was crazy to them. They were just as shocked at it all 
as the women who were there that first morning and heard the angel. So Mary gets to see Jesus Christ in His risen form. There were also other women who got to see Jesus in, the other, in His other form. It says in verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, so those three went to the grave. Verse 10 tells us that she goes and reports what had been said while they were mourning and weeping. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus even appeared to the two women that were with Mary as they were traveling back. Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 through 10 tell us that Jesus met them on the way. So he appears to the women, he appears to Mary first, he appears to the other two. Their faith instantly recognizes who this is. There was no doubt in, in Mary, the mother of James and Salome's mind. There was no doubt as to who he was. There was no more surprise as to who he was. And so they simply just fell at his feet and worshipped him. Thirdly, he appeared to two other disciples who were on their way home. Mark chapter 16 verse 12 says, after that, he appeared to a different, in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. It's recorded in more detail in Luke chapter 24. These two on the road to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were traveling back and Jesus shows up with them and starts to have this conversation with them about what they're talking about. And they talk to him as if he's the one who only one who doesn't know what took place over the weekend in Jerusalem. They're talking to him like, where have you been? What rock have you been under? No pun intended there. <laughs> you didn't know that Jesus, who we thought was going to be king, they say, is the one who they crucified. And now, you know, some women came and told us that he rose from the dead. We can't find him. We don't know who he is. And Jesus begins to explain everything about him from the Old Testament. And they arrive and they recognize him. And they run all the way back, another seven-mile trip back to Jerusalem to tell them that they had seen the risen Lord. And then, of course, eight days after the resurrection, as recorded in John chapter 20, let me go there for a moment. John chapter 20, Jesus appears to now the whole group of them in the upper room. John 20, beginning in verse 24. Well, we can actually go back a little bit. Verse 19, when therefore evening was on that day, the first day of the week. So here they are seven days or eight days later. Now it's the second Lord's day after the resurrection. When the doors were shut where the disciples were because they feared the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was, with, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. 
And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place where the nails are and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So the next Lord's Day, eight days again later, the disciples are inside and Thomas is with them. And Jesus came. Doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger, see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Don't miss this. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are you are they who do not see me and yet believe. Listen, beloved, you want to have the blessing of God in your life, then believe upon Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't see him, neither have we. None of us here have seen him. But none of that matters, because blessed are you when you believe and you have not seen The shock and surprise of the women was gone. The shock and surprise of the disciples is over. They were no longer surprised at the resurrection. They simply believed, entrusting themselves to Jesus Christ. What does all of this tell us? It simply tells us this He's alive. Jesus Christ is alive. There is no need to doubt. There is no need for us to wonder in amazement. Jesus Christ is alive. And it is the resurrection that is central to the point of the good news of salvation. The apostles preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were killed for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ living from the dead. If Christ is still in the grave, beloved, then we of all people are without hope. If Christ is not alive, then we have no good news. If Christ is not alive, we have no news of hope. We have only hopeless news. If Christ is not alive, then all we have is a damning message of doom. That's all we have. Ah, but Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is alive. The death, death could not hold him. And now we have great news. We have the news of the resurrection. We have the message of Easter. That is at the center of the gospel. And I pray, I pray that we all believe it. I pray that it is our heart's desire to follow Jesus Christ because he is alive. Because it's a day in a week that changed everything. Change there. Well, won't you pray with me? Father, we've taken a brief look. Look at the wonder and majesty of the resurrection. The amazement that we should not be amazed at. We should just understand that with you it is normal. Resurrection is normal. What do we fear? 
We should fear nothing because you are alive. And therefore we know that in you we are safe, we are secure. And that one day in your timing, by your great grace and mercy, we too will live just like you. For we are secure in Christ. Lord, there are those among us who may not know you, have no idea. Maybe they've heard your name. They've heard the stories of the resurrection, but they do not know you. They have not believed upon you. Lord, we pray, we plead with you that this day would be their resurrection day, that their spiritually dead heart would come alive, that they would see Christ for who he is, that they would repent of their sin, turn from the foolishness of disbelief and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. May this day be a day of life. We give you all the glory. You deserve it all. We deserve none. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, our resurrected Savior, we pray. Amen.